0: King David said, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. David was broken, messy, and imperfect man. But David was called a man after God's own heart. We are messy and broken people. But we desire to be people seeking after God. We can learn from David we can grow in Christ. Well, I hope your week has gone well, and I hope uh, that things for this week to come are going to be even better. I'm glad that you're here. There's uh, no better place for you to be than right here, worshiping the Lord together as a church family. I say that because what I have to say next is very difficult, and that is uh, today's probably going to be the hardest sermon that you're ever going to hear. And uh, it's hard because it's hard to live out. It's easy to understand, but difficult to live practically. Today we're talking about submitting to authority. And since the very beginnings of time, humans have found a way to thumb their nose at authority and people in positions that are higher than them. From Adam and Eve, when they were given all the freedom of the world to do and pretty much have the reign of the world, and then God just said, you know, I just don't want you to touch the tree and that fruit that's on that tree. Just, just one little thing, honor me by. And Adam and Eve, as soon as they found that out, they, they disrespected God, and they rebelled against God's authority, and they said, God, we, we know better. And it seems like from the moment that we're born, we have this inclination to stubbornly refuse to do what we've been asked to do, my wife and I are trying to teach our children how to use their money better, and, you know, just like any kid, when they get a buck, they want to quickly spend a buck, and so uh, one of our kids came to me, and he said, Dad, I really want to buy this skin for this game called Fortnite. Now, if you have no idea what I just said, fine. I don't have a clue what he said either, and if anybody in here has the uh, demon to Fortnite in their house, just, we need to form a little gathering together, and uh, get our, I see Brian and Blair, they're like, yeah, we do. Let's have a little meeting after this, and we can figure that out, Okay. So I'm trying to teach my kid, like, you know, that's not probably the best place for your money, and if you want to use your money wisely, I'll actually enhance that by buying a game half, half price with you um, that will encourage nonviolence and will encourage uh, for you to play with your friends. Uh, you th- how do you think that went over? Yeah, so all of a sudden now, I became this um, maniacal, hell-bent father that was uh, on a power trip to hold him back, and all I ever wanted to do is say no, and when he have kids, guess what? Things are going to be different in his house. He's going to tell his kids yes to every single thing. I'm going to find out how that goes as a grandparent one day. I'm going to throw it back in his face, believe me. I heard about this teenager that got so upset with his teachers uh, because of the authority that they had over him that he just dropped out of high school and decided to join the Marine Corps. So he joined the Marine Corps, and he found out that the sergeant there was just barking orders, and so he would just lay awake at night waiting for when he could be um, finally discharged so he could settle down, get married, and finally have no one tell him what to do. (laughs) Oh, to be young and ignorant, right? Yeah. (laughs) So if, if you're here today and, and you're looking in, into your own life, listen, I know this is going to be a difficult subject. We've been looking at the life of David. Uh, he's a man of history, and the Bible tells us much about him. Uh, David, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were that he was anointed by God to be the next king as a teenager. And even though he's anointed by God, there was a predecessor in front of him, a guy by the name of King Saul, and David was going to have to wait for, for Saul to either die or retire And that wasn't going to happen very quickly, so David went back and worked for his family business. His dad was a shepherd and had a business. David was a shepherd, but he was also a musician, so he had a gig that ran kind of separately to that. And and then Evan had taught us about David's defeat of the giant Goliath and how that gave David some national prominence, which really scared King Saul because David's fame was rising through the ranks. And so David was called in to help King Saul soothe his soul. He was a stressed out king, and music was able to kind of soothe that beast that was within him, and David would come in, he had a continual gig at the palace to play music and and settle the king down, and and then because his fame was increasing, Saul didn't know what to do with David, so he turned David into one of the generals in his army. Now, you might think that's a position of honor, but really what Saul had in mind was something a little bit more... um, Sinister. Saul had probably thought, I'll put David as a general in the army, and I'll put him at the front lines with the anticipation that that general dies in battle. But what he didn't know about David was, David was an expert warrior. David had men that were expert warriors with him, and every time, David came up against a a foe that seemed improbable to beat. David and his men would overwhelmingly win the victory, and uh, so David's fame even became more great, and so people started saying things like this, uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands, and for a guy like Saul, looking at David's fame and looking at David's ability, looking at David's youth, that really terrified him. It made him angry and it made him jealous, and so Saul grows maniacal. Like a dad who tells his kid, no, we're not going to buy that video game, right? Saul grows maniacal, and he gets hell-bent, and he starts ruining David's life. Step number one, I'll ruin David's life by introducing him to my daughter that is just mean and nasty. So Saul says, David, why don't you marry this woman, my daughter? She's, she's, like, from the, she's like the spawn of Satan, and maybe that will ruin your life too. Some of you are like, hey, I think I had a father-in-law do that to me once. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And so David marries her, but it doesn't ruin him, and actually, um, he's able to love the Lord and has a willingness to follow after God every single day. So Saul says, well, okay, uh, general in the ranks didn't work, and I couldn't kill him on the front lines. Uh, Introducing him to my daughter didn't work, and that didn't didn't ruin his life. So uh, the next time he plays music for me, uh, Saul decides I'm going to grab my spear and just throw it at David and kill him. So he does that. David's playing and unsuspecting. David just pick, or Saul just picks up his spear and throws it at David. And then I think that's when it finally dawned on David, I don't think this guy likes me. And so David runs for his life. And he encounters about a seven-year period where he's on the run. And he is just finally one step ahead of Saul all the way. But Saul is on his heels continually. And what we find ourselves is David in this trying period of time where he's, he's trying to handle authority. Uh, Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24, because the story that we're about to read is going to sum up the stories that are found in that seven-year period. Saul and his henchmen are, are, are on the heels of David. They find kind of where David is at in the region and where David is hiding. David is hiding in this large cave in the back recesses of a cave, really dark place, and Saul kind of stumbles into this cave, and he is unaware that this is David's hideout, He's unaware that David's in there. Saul actually has gone in the cave to relieve himself. And so while he is doing his business, David sneaks up behind him with a knife. He is totally vulnerable. Now, listen, Saul has ruined David's life. He has ruined David's life. And David has a chance now to kill the king and become king and finally have it his way. Now, what would you do if you were that situation? Let's see what David does. Look at 1 Samuel 24, about midway through verse 7. Midway through verse 7. It says, Saul left the cave and went his way. So obviously David didn't kill him. Saul left the cave and he went on his way. Verse 8, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord the king. That's a language of respect, by the way. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face on the ground. He bowed down. Uh, That's an action of respect, by the way. Words of respect, action of respect. Verse nine, he said to Saul, "Why, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, and this is the key, this is the key today. I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed." Now listen, this is the crucial part, and if you can start to understand this today, you're going to have a better, better way of submitting to the authority that's in your life. When you can realize that the authority in this world has been placed there and appointed and in some cases anointed by God, you're going to have a, a greater willingness to put yourself under their authority and become subservient to them. When you can realize that I will not lay my hand on my Lord, my boss, my parents, my spouse, because he is the Lord's anointed or appointed. You're gonna find yourself in a greater way. When you can humble yourself to the Lord's authority, recognizing he's created all authority, you can start to humble yourself to the authority that's in your world. I'm not gonna say that's easy. I'm not gonna lie about that. That's difficult, but you can. Look at verse 11. See, my father, he calls him his dad. See, dad, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I didn't kill you. See, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And the stories just go on from there about how Saul consistently repents, but then he continues to follow David and try to track him down to kill him. Now here's the real problem that we're faced today as we kind of proceed into this sermon. And this is what I've been praying against all last week. The problem is that you and I don't like to be told what to do, and I'm about to tell you what to do. That's a problem, okay? There's another problem. We all have different scenarios in here, and I know you're running your scenario about the authority in your life, and you got different characters, different circumstances, different scenarios, and I'm gonna say something like, an everyday disciple has a willingness to be subservient to the authority in their life, and you're gonna say, you have no clue the jerks in my circle. You have no clue the level of abuse or the depth of the abuse that I have encountered. You have no clue, and I'm gonna say to you, I don't have a clue. I don't. And I'm not even gonna pretend like I do. And I'm not gonna make shallow sense out of it. But God knows. And you know. You, you both know the scenarios and the characters and the circumstances that surround. And so I know what's gonna to happen today. You're gonna to think of your boss. You're gonna think of your spouse. You're gonna think of a church leader or a government official. or, or You're gonna come up with all the reasons why you shouldn't respect them why you don't have to pay attention to their authority in this, in this world. And you're gonna come up with all the bad things that they do to you. And I'll be honest, I would rather preach a sermon about what God has to say about homosexuality or about divorce or hell than this topic today. Because some of you have already turned me off. You've already turned, out God, turned God off on this. And you're just not willing to listen. I'm just saying, would you have the ears to listen, the willingness like David, that is a man after God's own heart, let's be some people after God's own heart, have a willingness to listen And to say, okay, God, maybe you're trying to teach me something today about how I need to humble myself and how I need to put myself under some people's authority because you've placed those people in authority above me. And you know what sin is at the core? Sin is rebellion. Sin is saying, God, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care about your authority. And I think if we start getting this stuff right, then we'll stop saying to God, I know better than you, God, and I'm going to do it my way rather than your way. So here's what I'm asking An open ear as we move forward in this. And let's start right here. Let's start with the two special positions of authority that the Bible says deserve honor, whether you want to honor them or not. Number one is the place of supreme authority. We'd say that's God. He has the highest authority. And whether you want to honor God or not, or whether you see the reasons for, or believe in God or not, he deserves and demands our honor. He demands our respect of his authority. You know what Jesus said? I don't care how much you want to say you love me. I don't care how much you want to worship me. Jesus says, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Just by obedience, by under, putting yourself under the authority of God, that's the greatest source of love you can prove to God. The second position of authority is what the scriptures refer to often as the authority of honoring your, your father and your mother. And while God formed you in your mother's womb, your parents or maybe even the lack of your parents in your life have formed you outside of that womb. And regardless if your parents were awesome or if they were awful, God says they're, they're to deserve special authority. I don't know how you get that done. I'm not here to tell you how you get that done because there's different characters, circumstances and, and different situations in this room. I just know that there's special There's special honor to God and to our our moms and our dads. The the, the Ten Commandments stated like this, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. That is the command that has a promise with it. Now, you ever experienced that promise before? The promise that when you honor your mother and father, life goes good for you? I remember the the time when I encountered that in my life. Uh, My dad rarely ever got angry with me, and the only times he got angry with me is when I would be disrespectful to my mother, And I remember him pulling me aside one day after being disrespectful to my mother, talking back to her, and he looked calmly into my eyes. He stared right into my soul, and he said something like, son, your mother is more important to me than you are. And then he said, one day you're going to leave this house, but she stays. And you may be leaving sooner than you expect if you keep mistreating her like this. Either I'm going to kick you out or the medics are going to come and take you out. You know, that made a lot of sense to me, right? If I want to experience a good life, I better play it cool and honor my mom and my dad. And that day I discovered that that command has a promise that goes along with it. If I want my life to go well, I'll better, I better start submitting to the authority of my life and not craving so many ripples. And that's, but I'll tell you the sad reality is that we've been led to believe that respect is a two-way street. And that's not, that's not how a lot of people live. A lot of people don't live that way. They, they demand respect because of a position or a title. And they don't see it as a two-way street. And you have to remember that. And David found himself in that scenario. He had a king whom he obliged, whom he loved, and whom he respected, but the king didn't respect him back. And every time that king would repent and say, David, you're right, I shouldn't be treating you down like a wild animal, well, he would snap and turn, become maniacal and hell-bent and then try to kill David one more time. And that was very difficult for David to understand. How do I submit to authority when, when authority wants to kill me, when, when authority has their thumb on me? But here's what David did. As a daily disciple, he had a willingness to treat those in positions of authority as if God had appointed them in his life. And to honor the king was to honor God. We're going to walk through some scenarios together, and you're going to have to figure some things out, because I don't know how to apply this. Um, because one of the difficult challenges is the Bible doesn't know how to apply this for us either you got to get in, read some stories, but it doesn't say, here's how you live this out. God just says, honor, honor, respect, respect, allow this authority to be over you. And we say, how? Have you met my boss? Have you met my spouse? Have you met my grandparents? Have, you know, have, and we just run through the scenarios. And so real quick, let me just sweep up some things. As we talk about being subservient to authority, let me tell you what you can do even though you place yourself under the authority of others, quickly. One, you can question the authority. You're submitting, but you can still question. Two, you can disagree with authority. That doesn't mean you don't do what they're asking you to do, but you can disagree with them. Three, you can still think for yourself. You don't have to conform to that. Uh, Fourth, you can influence those in power. Have you ever thought that? Okay, so someone in your life is is like King Saul, you can be like David and try to influence them for good. Five, uh, you can be right and they can be wrong, but that doesn't still mean that you buck their authority even though you're right and they are wrong. Some of you are like, I experience that every single day at my work. I'm right, they're wrong. Six, follow, you can follow the law, but not the example of the leader. Like some of you, when you elect a president, you think you're electing the national preacher. You're not. We're not. That guy's got problems. They're all going to have problems. We're not electing a preacher. We're electing, we're electing a president. And um, we need to follow the law and maybe not the example of the person in that position. Number seven, we, we always need to place God's law above man-made laws. So God's word is going to trump or is going to come above man's word. Are we catching that? So I'm going to list four different categories for you today. And I want you to run through some scenarios in your own head, and I'm going to give you three tools of application that I think work. They're not the best tools, but they're going to get the job done to fix it. And uh, you can kind of follow along as you want, and I'm going to tell you how I would handle um, these scenarios within these, each category. So let's, like, let's take the government first, <laughs> okay? Let's take the big one, the government. Uh, God, when he spoke about the government, he talked about men and women in positions of authority that have charge over us. He spoke a lot about this. If you want to research it, Romans 13, 1 uh, Peter chapter 2 speaks extensively on how Christ's followers are to submit ourselves to the governing authorities, whether they are good people or bad people, whether they are good laws or bad laws. And I'll give you an example. So the Christians living in the, the, the uh, city of Rome were highly persecuted. And you know what God told them? Here's what He said to the people in the city of Rome that were living under an abuse as Christ's followers Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Are you catching this? The authority that God's established, God's established, uh, that's there, God has established. I don't know why those crazy people are in authority. I don't know why he did that. But the authority that exists have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So if you're gonna rebel against them, you're actually rebelling against God. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You're gonna create ripples, guess what? You're gonna have to tread water quite a bit, much harder than the average person. So how do I put myself under the authority of a government I don't agree with? Let me just say it like this. Our past presidents, our current president, and our future presidents, while they may not be God's anointed like Saul, we have to to acknowledge they are God's appointed. They might be the anointed, but they are the appointed. And if the election doesn't go my way, I'm going to honor the position even if I can't honor the person in power. Does that make sense to you? I've got to honor their authority. And so, let me give you the tools of application that we can run through. Like I said, they're not the greatest tools, but they're tools. We can prioritize them, we can praise them, we can protect them. So, as we run through these four categories, how can you prioritize them, praise them, or protect them? Now, you might want, you can use all three, or you can just use one on how to get the job done here. So, for instance, government, how can I prioritize them? Well, I can elevate them in my prayers. I am so shocked how many Christians don't pray for our government leaders. I am just shocked by it. Like, I pray every single day, and so should you, that godly advisors are influencing those people in position in power. You should be praying every single day that they're using discernment and that the Holy Spirit is influencing them and they're they're, they're giving themselves over to the Holy Spirit. Um, I even pray that God will use me to influence them. Have you ever prayed that about yourself? God, would you just use me to influence some people in power? Um, so that they can learn about who Christ is. You can prioritize them by paying your taxes on time, by paying your fis on time. When you're asked to go to court, to go to court and to, and to show up ready for court, and you're saying, well, that's crazy. What if I'm being dragged into court? Go along with it. Don't create any ripples. How can I praise them? Okay, it might be hard to praise them, especially if you don't agree with them and they make poor decisions, but I can find something good in all the bad that they do. right? So if a city council member or a school board member or somebody that is in a position of power does something right for a change, right? I need to send them a quick email. I need to write them a letter. I need to pat them on the back and say, good job, and encourage them to do more good. How can I protect government? That's going to be difficult to protect government in some ways. Some of you enlisted to defend the Constitution of the United States and also the government who swore to uphold it. Uh, a few weeks ago, Jared Hemingway, who leads our veterans ministry, Jared's the good-looking one in the middle, by the way, uh, is a, was a, he was a captain in the Marine Corps for eight years, and then he decided he was gonna retire, but then he, he, you know, I questioned this, but he decided he's now gonna re-enlist after serving eight years and gonna join the Army after joining the Marine Corps, and he now enlisted and, and swore an oath of office For becoming a chaplain in the army as a captain. I applaud that. He's awesome for doing that. And some of you men and women, you took an oath of enlistment. And in that oath of enlistment, you swore to protect and obey the President of the United States and the Constitution and to obey the officers that are in charge of you. You swore to be subservient in the protection of the government. Now, I never uh, served in uh, the armed forces. So I, don't, I, don't, I can't say I protected that way. So how can I protect as a civilian? I suppose I can protect those that are doing right in the government, that are fair, that are just, and I can just strive to reelect them, maybe. I don't know. You're gonna have to figure out how you do this in your own world. How are you gonna prioritize? How are you gonna praise? How are you gonna protect those in authority above you? Okay, here's the second one. Uh, workplace and school. Huh. First Peter chapter two says, God says, servants, servants, Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, oh man, but also to the unjust. It's easier to be happy with the managers that are good to you. It's it's easy to be happy with the teachers that give you the extra credit and like you. It's tough for the ones that are unjust. And I say, probably in this realm of area, this is the hardest for us to submit to. And so how in the world are you gonna go about submitting to your company or to the boss or to the principal or to the teacher? I would prioritize them. If I'm at work and I got a place that has a hard line start time, I'm gonna be there 10 minutes early for work. I'm gonna be there or earlier. I'd attempt to to never miss being on time unless there was an emergency. Uh, I I would always, uh, as long as it wouldn't interfere with faith or family, I I would accept uh, the overtime. As long as it doesn't interfere with faith, I would accept the overtime. I'd play along with them the best I could. Uh, I would make it a point Every day to talk to my boss. Some of you, do, some of you ignore your boss. You, you walk away from your boss. You try to hide. You go to the broom closet to get away from your boss. I, I'd, I'd talk to my boss every single day, and I, then I'd, I'd do the next thing. I'd try to find some way to praise, praise my boss. Uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I took this class. I really loved this class. It was a lecture-style class. There was about 200 people in it. But I could just never find myself coming on time And so about midway through the semester, I was walking in late, and the professor stopped the whole class, waited until I sat down, then said something to the effect of, Mr. Merrill, is it that you just don't like this class? What is it? And I said, trying to be funny, uh, I said, it's not, I like the class, I love the class, I just don't like the professor. And the whole class chuckled, and they liked that, they thought that was so funny, and I thought that was so funny, Um, and they all had a good laugh, but the professor had the last laugh. Uh, because from that moment on, I was accused on the next test of having a, another student take that test for me by that professor. Then on the next test, I was accused of plagiarizing my paper, even though he couldn't tell me where it was plagiarized from. And it finally took the settlement of an academic dean to set us both down to kind of have a little counseling session and put the feud behind us. And I looked back and I said, if I would have just said, uh, sir, I love the class. I just find it hard to get motivated to come to. I wouldn't have had any problems with that teacher. Some of you have problems with your boss because you're telling them how how things should be done. You're, you're telling them about his problems, and and you're telling them you're just you're not praising. You're putting them down. There's got to be something that your boss or, or your manager does that's good that you can pat him on the back for. There's got to be something, and don't let your hide or your your pride rather hold you back from praising somebody else. I mean, people in in positions of power will do more for you even if you, if, when, you, when you praise them. Listen, some of the best ways you guys are gonna get ahead in, in your job is just by being compliant to the company. Just by being a compliant to the company. By being praiseworthy. And, and next time a company review comes, they're gonna keep you in mind. He, he shows up all the time. She praises me. I like that. I like to be praised. I, I always see that person every day at work. They make, a, they make a point of seeing me. How do you protect the company? I can, I can find ways to protect the company. I think it's gonna be hard to protect the manager. Because if you don't like that person, that's going to be tough to protect that person. But I, I know what I wouldn't do. I would never go against uh, what the leadership has asked of me to do unless it goes against God's word. I would comply. Even if I knew I was right and they were wrong, I'd comply. But let me tell you, protect the company. You give the company a hard day's work every day. Don't show up and, and lollygag around the office. Don't show up and pretend to be working at, at, at your, your space and you're not doing anything but daydreaming. Give them an honest day's work. Here's the second thing. I am also shocked by how many people will go into the office storeroom, grab office supplies, and take them home, or go to their toolbox and take a tool because they need it at home and keep it at home. And they That's called theft, by the way. And they feel like they're entitled to it because the company has treated them unfairly. I can protect it that way. Here's the third group, family. Some of you are like, man, jeez, why do you keep stomping on me like this? God asks us to give special honor to family, but how about like those that, in our family that give us heartache? Like if your family is one tent short of being a full-blown circus, what do you do? I think you're gonna start prioritizing them by pl- praying for those clowns. That's for sure, right? You're gonna start praying. Erwin Lutzer, who is a radio ministry, he told the story of a young couple that came into his office, and, and they said they wanted to honor God with their marriage, and they wanted to honor each other, but they wanted a divorce. That can't happen, guys. Just, that's just not That's not honoring God. That's getting what you want and saying, God, I don't care what you want. And Pastor Lutzer said to the husband, well, the Bible says you're to love your wife like Jesus Christ loves the church. He said, I can't, I can't, I can't love her at that level. He said, well, lower the level. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, no, that level's way too high too. He said, okay, try this level. Jesus has said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Begin there. I think prioritizing some of these people in our family, some of these clowns in our family, they just, just treat us unfairly, but they have authority over us maybe. is just prioritizing them in prayer. Maybe it's prioritizing them by, by sending them a birthday note. Maybe it's prioritizing them by giving them a phone call and wishing them a happy birthday or on special holidays giving them a call. Maybe that's where it starts for some of you. And, and, and on your end, there is no feud. You're not going to allow the feud to continue. How do you praise them I'm not sure exactly how to, how to praise those in, in your family. I know how it works in my household. I used to believe that the best thing I could do is teach my children that I believe in them and teach my wife that I believe in her. But I've discovered recently the best thing I can do is to use words that teach them that they can believe in themselves and that might make them go further. So I've kind of applied this little thing of encouraging them um, you know, that sounds like, you know, like a, a new thing to me, but that's a new thing to me. Encouraging my family greater than I have before, praising them when they do good, challenging them and stretching them to reach further than they think they can, but make it obtainable, that's tough. To listen to them and not just act like I care, but really care. Because I'm good at that. I'm listening and acting like I care with my kids, but, but sometimes I don't really care. And I, I, I'm really cherishing now, trying to cherish what they say, recognizing and acknowledging the good things that they do and, and asking them to capitalize on their good decisions. How do I protect my family? First, or First T- Timothy chapter 5, 8 says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You can get mad at God for that one. Don't get mad at me. Because what happens is family members know how to, to uh, override you. They know how to take advantage of you, manipulate you faster than anybody else. And some of you are like, but you, have you met this person? Have you met my uncle? Have you met my cousins? Have you met my sister-in-law? And then they're constantly begging for money. What do I do to uh, show them? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure how to do this necessarily. Maybe to protect them is by providing for them. You're saying, but I, they keep coming back wanting more. Maybe you help them when there is the greatest need. Maybe you just lend a hand to them. Maybe it's words of advice and counsel that you can bring to them. I know this, that wherever you're finding yourself with your family and trying to adjust to your authority, maybe it's even a grandparent that is a manipulator and takes from you. Those exist, by the way. Um, Maybe you find it where you can draw the line somewhere where you can help them but not enable them. Again, you're going to have to figure out the application on this. I can't do it for you. Your scenario, the characters in your life, the situations are different for you than for me. Here's the fourth group, church leadership. Obey me. That's all I have to say about that. Now, that's crazy. That is crazy. Here's what God says about that. Here's, I shouldn't have said that. Have confidence in your leaders. There you go. Have confidence in me. And submit to their authority. Have confidence in our elders because they keep watch over you. And those... Who must give an account? You know they're going to all of our elders, myself included, are going to have to give an account to God about all of you. Uh, do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Uh, for that would be of no benefit to you. How do you prioritize? You, you got to start lifting up your leaders in prayer, guys. I need your prayers. Uh, I'm looking at some of our elders right now. We need your prayers. Uh, we we need to be lifted up. This staff needs to be lifted up. Every day I pray for our elders. Every day I pray for the staff. And that God will protect us, that because we can be idiots of stu- we can be uh, agents of idiot idioticy, and, and we can be stupid at sometimes. But we just want to do God's will. And our, our the men that lead this place, our elders, are, are are well. They can be celebrated more than they can be criticized. Believe me. So how do you praise them? You can pat them on the back for some good decisions. I know there's things that you can scrutinize, some decisions you can look at and say that was a stupid decision. Why would we do a new service? Come on, I know what you're thinking sometimes. Why would we do a new service? And you can wonder why, and that's fine. That's fine. But you can look over their track. How do you protect them? Here's how you protect them. I think the easiest way to protect my elders, the easiest way to protect my staff is to look at their track record. And while they might have made a mistake or they may have had some poor judgment or made some poor decisions along the way, I got to look back at the whole race and not just the section where they stumbled. And I got to recognize you know what? They've ran a good race and they've been consistent and they've been God-honoring in the things that they've done, and tell those naysayers to look at that place also. Let's end like this. How did Jesus handle authority? Because that's what I care about, that he's the one I follow. How did he handle authority? Number one, he's God in the flesh. He had supreme power, yet he put himself under the authority of this world. Imagine that. God has charge over all things, and he says, guess what? I'm going to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. I'm going to pay my taxes. Even though I might get some coin out of a fish, I'm going to pay my taxes. Where was that? Uh, before April the 15th this year, I should have gone fishing and got some money out of the fish. And Jesus honored his parents. Well, Jesus honored the government to the point of death, didn't he? To the point, to, you, you're going, how far do I take this? Jesus said, I took it to the point of death. Uh, honor his mother, even when he was dying. How did he honor his mother? Remember, he looked at John and he said, John, would you start caring for my mom like she's your mom? And, and Mom, would you start caring for John like he's your son? And, and, and even in death, Jesus is concerned in honoring his mother. How about church leaders? How did he honor? He dealt with some church leaders who were self-serving scoundrels. He did. Terrible church leaders. Jesus put himself under their authority. And even though he was wrongly arrested and questioned by the high priest, Jesus was respectful. And if you notice about that story right before he is uh, going to the cross, he's even a peacemaker with those people to that corrupt corrupt religious council. So if Jesus had all authority, yet he placed himself under earthly authority, even though they were wrong and he was right, uh, he was able to do what David did, and that is uh, he was able to recognize that God appointed these people, and I'm gonna submit to them. And and so kind of here's my drop the mic question, and and maybe you, you just can settle on this as we close. Why do you rebel against authority when Jesus Christ submitted to it? That's the question. That's the big one. Why, why, would you, why would you rebel against the people in power when Jesus put himself underneath those people in power? What makes you so much better than Jesus? Some of you today, you've never submitted to the authority of Christ. You've never given your life over to him. You've never accepted his death for your death. And you've never you've never allowed him to forgive you of your sins. You've never trusted in him as a Lord or a savior. You've never done any of that. You've never even recognized that he's in charge of this world and in charge of your soul ultimately. Man, I would think the best thing that you could do today is to get all this stuff figured out about authority and submitting to it, is to first start with submitting to the supreme authority and that's God and he loves you he's not mad at you he wants to forgive you and to rescue you and to save you and to put you in a place where even though there is hurts and tragedies and pains and overlordship in this world you can still find freedom and happiness and joy because you're saved by grace through Jesus Christ if you have not found that if you've not found Christ you want to talk to to a pastor about what it means to be saved, to be baptized. There's going to be a group of us right here by this door, uh, by this baptistry. We'd love to come and talk to you more about that. As we stand together, let's stand, and as we sing and close out this service.